There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. It's Tuesday, July 12th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Learn how Steamfitters can benefit your business at steamfitters-602.org. Today, Montgomery County leaders are seeking to limit where gun owners can take their firearms, even though Governor Hogan just made it easier to carry a concealed gun in Maryland. WTOP's Kate Ryan catches us up on this effort and what opponents are saying. There is no way that this could stand up in court. He said, do you understand what the federal uh, federal court would say to this legislation? And have you seen those awe-inspiring images from the cosmos from the James Webb Telescope? We talk about how Maryland scientists made it happen with WTOP space reporter Greg Redfern. So what we have is this galactic cluster bending space-time to allow us to see galaxies that were being formed after the Big Bang. Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett. And I'm Megan Cloherty. Montgomery County leaders are countering a Supreme Court decision and trying to restrict gun owner rights to carry a gun with a permit. Now, you'll remember last week, Governor Hogan directed Maryland State Police, which issues these permits, to ignore the provision requiring applicants to justify why they need a conceal and carry permit. This came after the Supreme Court threw out a similar provision in New York State. WTOP's Kate Ryan is here now to explain why Montgomery County is making this push back against the Supreme Court's ruling. Kate, why is the county moving forward with this and what's their reasoning? Well, number one, there is an increased concern about gun violence in the county. And the chief of police was recently in the briefing to talk about it's just skyrocketing. I Mm. I think that's a fair term. Uh, He didn't provide stats, but he did say gun cases, gun-related violence Mm -hmm. is nearly double what it was at the same time last year. So obviously, lots of concern. The county has successfully pushed back against ghost guns by making a similar change in the law. The issue here, of course, is the Supreme Court has said you cannot restrict a gun owner's rights by forcing them to say why they need a gun. The gun right is in the Constitution. Therefore, we're getting rid of this thing that forces you to say, mother may I, Mm -hmm. to the Maryland State Police Licensing Division. So that is their argument. I mean, the county council president, Gabe Albornoz, has said very clearly, guns are not the answer to public safety. And uh, this bill, I believe, is a reasonable approach to ensure that in our community, we keep our residents safe. So that's why we're enacting or we hope to enact this bill. And that's happening today or there's some action happening today. Yes, it's being introduced. And this is I know it's very wonky, but uh, the county council will introduce it. They agree to hear it. And on the 26th, I believe, will be the first public hearing on the bill. So at that at that hearing, we'll get the arguments pro and con and the members of the council get to take a closer look at the issue. Mm. And where would it restrict guns just in general? Or are there certain places where this really applies? What's the how of this new proposed legislation? This is the very interesting thing. Um, In 
Montgomery County law now, for example, when you go to the courthouse, when you go to a school board meeting, you can't bring in firearms. That's, you know, these are gun-free zones. Mm. Schools are gun-free zones. Under this bill, the language is having a firearm in or near places of public assembly. This legislation says within 100 yards of places of public assembly. Mm. Well, that could be a sidewalk. That could be a gas station as Whoa. people line up for gas, broadly interpreted. Right. So particularly the opponents of this bill, um, and I spoke to Mark Pennock at Maryland Shall Issue, which is a, a Second Amendment rights group, who said there is no way that this could stand up in court. He said, do you understand what the federal uh, federal court would say to this legislation? It's kind of legally stupid what they're doing here. The Supreme Court has held that you have a public right to carry with a permit, and you're now wanting to basically eliminate that right? He's very confident that um, legally it, it wouldn't withstand a challenge. What they can't do is ban public carry with a permit everywhere in the county, which people may, may assemble. They cannot do that constitutionally. On the flip side, Montgomery County Council and uh, State's Attorney John McCarthy spoke in favor of this, and they feel that it can. If the county has the right to limit where you can have a firearm, again, citing things like public buildings, Mm -hmm. then why not? So this is the interesting case. I imagine enforcement, too, would just be a nightmare because what's it's just a loose definition right now. And obviously that could change. But if you're looking at it from that perspective, it's like, well, how do we even do this? That's correct. And, for example, if you're a police officer and currently, again, at a county council meeting, if they think it's going to be particularly heated or very crowded, often uh, police officers will be on the perimeter just in case they're needed. And it's clear that you go through a metal detector. Okay, you can't have that in here. But what what do you do in other places of public assembly? If Mm -hmm. you want to go to the Civic Center in Silver Spring, is the area in front of the Civic Center now off limits as well? Mm. And for those who have the permit, they're saying, wait a minute. We went through all the legal channels to get our permit And now you're saying you can deny our Second Amendment right even after the law says you've you've done what you needed to do to get your wear carry permit. You can't have this. Mm. Another twist, if I may, uh, Montgomery County Police Chief Marcus Jones said his big concern is, well, there are two. When off-duty officers respond to an emergency call, There they are in their plain clothes. They have a sidearm with them. Is another officer going to recognize, hey, that's a police officer. I don't have to worry. This is someone who I should be working with. Mm -hmm. Or do they simply see a person with a firearm? Isn't that already an issue, though? That is, but they're expecting and fearing that this will be heightened with more people with more sidearms. Mm. Ah, okay. Definitely complicated. And Montgomery County State's Attorney John McCarthy has weighed in on this. Did he share whether this proposed legislation would stand up in court if it's challenged? We didn't get that deep into it, to be very frank. Um, And and I think that is something that uh, is going to be an issue at the hearing. I know that there will be increased discussions on this, detailed discussions. And I know this was just, you know, the first start to this. But did they talk at all about does the county have any jurisdiction that the Supreme Court doesn't? Right. Like, does the county have a say over what happens in its buildings or whatever that could could stand up, do you think? Well, again, as they say, and it is it is true, it is understood. And I 
You're asking a really good point. I wish I had a degree in law, whether or not this is law or general agreement that a government building can restrict what comes into that building. Again, right. we've all seen it. Everyone's gone to a courthouse. You know what it's like to go through metal detectors. You're wanted. Um, they're using that local authority angle mm-hmm. to be able to see to broaden it. And again, Mark Panic's point is you can't broaden it so far. This is this is just not going to fly. So that's going to be interesting. And to be fair to uh, gun owners, they are already frustrated in in many cases where suppose you are a duck hunter and you have your firearms with you and where you can and cannot go, it can get very sticky to stay within your legal mm. lane, if you will, mm-hmm. while having this Second Amendment right. It is it is a complex issue. I know people like to think it's very simple, but it is complex. Mm. And it's one that does strike fear within people. You know, there is violence going up and there is research. We spoke with an expert at Johns Hopkins about, you know, increased amounts of guns in the community does sometimes correlate with more violence. Did Pennick talk to that at all? Pennick did not, um, because I was really interested when I spoke with him on the legal framework here, rather than the whole debate of whether guns make you safer or not. However, Chief uh, Jones did talk about precisely that point, saying that so many of the calls that police go to are and might not have happened if a gun had not been present. Mm -hmm. And he even asked, too, okay, let's say you go through all the hurdles to get your permit are you trained as well as an officer is in being able to keep your head, assess a situation before making that decision to pull a firearm from a holster? Are you ready for what would happen next? Are you a proficient shooter? I mean, can you can you just physically hit your target? And I know that many police officers and, and chiefs organizations have said they are concerned because so often you put a tense situation and you throw a gun into the mix and you end up with a gun-related crime. And it's not like there's not a demand for this either. I think that, you know, referencing the uh, conversation that Luke and I had with the Johns Hopkins expert last week, which was our best show yet, by the way. It was a great conversation if you want to go back and listen if you haven't heard it. But did Penick speak at all to the demand for this, the interest? He maintains that there are likely more than 10,000 applications in the pipeline now. But he's saying that based on his assessment of what their email capacity is. So I really don't know. I can't verify that. But there is certainly pent-up demand. Mm -hmm. And I say that only as someone who has covered gun-related legislation in Maryland, and there's generally a backlog in the applications to get firearms, and particularly the concealed carry. That's what they call it in other states here. They refer to it as wear and carry. Right. And Maryland State Police just gave us some numbers on this, actually. And they say, you know, they've had an influx of applications. But to your point, the portal of their, you know, the system they have, that portal limits the system to 10,000 outgoing emails on a rolling 24-hour period. So Maryland State Police says basically it surpassed that 10,000 email limit over two consecutive days. So while it's not necessarily like, one permit per email, right? So it doesn't necessarily correlate to one and one. It does give you a clear idea of the demand here. And another indicator is that they say they're working seven days a week to keep up with the demand. They plan to hire 10 more people. So there's clearly a lot of work to handle. And the licensing division only has 90 days to act on a wear and carry permit legally. They have to get back to you. Um, So they're on a, a deadline, really. So 
And we're talking about roughly 8,000 is the number they gave us um, over a two-week period. And these are original applications and renewals, but also, Kate, those looking to add wear and carry to their existing permit. A lot of things come into this. And of course, with increases in crime, you do find people who are comfortable with weapons, who may have gone, you know, grown up in a tradition of having weapons in the home, uh, looking to be able to protect themselves outside of the home as well. So again, wherever you fall on this issue, there is a lot to chew on ahead. Yeah, Kate, there are definitely strong feelings on either side. Thank you for helping us understand where we are now. Sure. Thank you. After the break, we take a look back 13 billion years ago with WTOP space reporter Greg Redfern to learn how local scientists made it possible. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like the podcast, head to our show page, give us a rating, and leave a review. We read all of them and use the suggestions to improve this show that we're so proud of. It also helps other listeners find this, our region's only local daily news podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Today, we're getting the latest batch of photos from the most powerful telescope ever made, the James Webb Space Telescope. These images let us look back 13 billion years ago, meaning we can literally see our universe starting, as crazy as that sounds. Now the massive telescope is taking photos as it orbits the sun nearly a million miles from Earth, but it's being controlled and operated right here in our region at the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore. To tell us more about these images and what they mean and how local scientists are making it all happen, we turn to WTOP space reporter Greg Redfern. And this is, I mean, you've got to be on cloud nine. That's, I mean, galaxy nine. <laughs> hey, you know, when you've been waiting for a moment for 20 plus years, and that's just from the perspective of a an reporter, uh, amateur astronomer, a space outreach spokesperson, I'm telling you, it is epic, absolutely epic. And to be part of it for the last 10 plus years with WTOP covering <laughs> it has been fantastic. Greg, it takes only a few scrolls on Twitter to see some of these amazing images um, from the cosmos. But let's start with how we got these in the first place. Tell us about the people in Baltimore who are operating the Webb Telescope and bringing these images to us today. It is such an amazing operation. I've been up there to the Space Telescope Science Institute several times, affectionately known as the TUTE, T-U-T-E. <laughs> and there they have a team of people, roughly 30 on a shift of 12 hours, operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 and a quarter days a year Mm. to control James Webb Space Telescope, monitor James Webb Space Telescope, and to keep the telescope on its 10,000 hours of observing time schedule each year. And it is a well uh, organized organization. Uh, It is amazing to watch them in action. I actually saw them in rehearsal 
when they were waiting for the scope to come online and now I've seen him in action and I actually got a picture of myself <laughs> in mom's chair, which is the mission operations manager. And that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not just those scientists up in Baltimore who really have their hands on this Webb telescope. Just down I-95 in Greenbelt, Maryland, scientists built parts of the Webb telescope at the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center. What role did they play down there? I'll tell you what, Luke and Megan, NASA Goddard Space Flight Center was where Hubble's, or excuse me, gosh, Hubble, Hubble, yes, but (laughs) James Webb Space Telescope was actually built And the whole mantra behind the optical telescope element, or OTE, the telescope was test, 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 and test again. We want to break it here in the ground so it functions in space. Can I ask you a quick question? This is just from my knowledge. Who who the heck is James Webb? Why is this called the James Webb Telescope? James Webb was the guy called by President John F. Kennedy to say, Jim, I want you to get us to the moon. And famously, he replied, Mr. President, I'm not a scientist or engineer. Jim, that's why I want you. And James Webb was the NASA administrator during the years of Apollo. And he got us to the moon. So that's why the scope was named after him by a NASA administrator years ago. Okay. And so, you know, what we're talking about is this James Webb telescope and what it's bringing us. Just yesterday, we saw its first images. We saw this smattering of galaxies and stars. So, Greg, tell us what that first image from yesterday really means to us here. Well, the most important thing, Luke and Megan, is it shows the telescope works. <laughs> it works <laughs> real well. But what that first photograph zeroed in on is an area of space And you're going to love this. It's called SMAX 0723, (laughs) which is the designator for this big cluster of galaxies. And these galaxies, there's a lot of them there. It's 4.6 billion light years from Earth, which means that the light that James Webb intercepted took 4.6 billion years to travel from there to the telescope. But what's amazing is this concentration of these galaxies gives us what we call a gravitational lens, which Dr. Einstein told us in his theory of relativity, that if you have a lot of mass concentrated in space, it can bend light. So what we have is this galactic cluster bending space-time to allow us to peer beyond the cluster to see galaxies that were being formed perhaps 500 million to 600 million years after the Big Bang. In other words, the early universe. And when people look at that image, Luke, Megan, they'll see these curved arcs. And it is these curved arcs that are space time reaching out to us only a half a billion years after the Big Bang. Ah, goosebumps, goosebumps. But part of me feels Amazing. like people people don't really know what they're looking at. Like they, they see stars, but there's obviously a lot of matter that one of the first photos I think that came out yesterday, it almost looked like confetti. I mean, with stars in it. Um, and then today yeah. there was a cool one where it almost looks like smoke or something, you know. It, can you describe one of the images to us and just tell us what we're seeing? 
what we saw yesterday was the first image, the early universe image, they call it. Today, we've got to see what James Webb is capable of doing with objects that are pretty familiar to us. The uh, five galaxies in collision, the Stefan's uh, Quintet, we've seen that multiple times. But the detail showing us what was happening with those galaxies and the surrounding dust and material hadn't really seen it that well before. Mm. And then the really beautiful nebulae, the smoke clouds, which are really gas and dust, the Carina Nebula, and then the what we call the Punitary Nebulae, which are places where stars, just like our sun, have ended their life. And we're seeing corpses, stellar corpses there. And guess what? That's what our solar system is going to look like in five billion years. So maybe the best for last, guys. <laughs> so planet, the exoplanet image, James Webb Space Telescope is so powerful that it is going to be able to analyze the atmospheres of 5,000 plus exoplanets. In other words, planets beyond our solar system that exist. And in this first image, the first time this chemical fingerprint finds water mm. in the atmosphere of this exoplanet. Can you imagine what James Webb, if it were someplace else with an alien running it, looked at Earth? They'd see cow flatulence, smog from Los <laughs> Angeles, water vapor. Oh, they got too much carbon dioxide. Oh, what's going on with that planet? And I think James Webb is going to be able to give us true, strong evidence of planets where life as we know it, life as we know it, might be able to exist. Wow. So it's it's exciting. WTOP space reporter Greg Redfern, thank you for sharing what this new era of space exploration we're in. Okay, Luke, so before we go, mm -hmm. the Emmy nominations are in today, Exciting. which everybody likes talking about television. Yes. Especially you. Yes, I am a huge TV guy. I just love, no, I don't I don't watch much TV. No, okay, but I want to let people know. So Succession did really well with like as far as like nominations, Squid Games, Ted Lasso, mm. White Lotus, Hacks, Euphoria, and Only Murders in the Building. But my question for you, Luke Garrett, is in the last mm, 10 years okay. of the shows that won Best Drama. Okay, drama. Have you seen any of them? Um, I saw the one about the Queen, The Crown. I saw that one. I saw okay. Ted Lasso. Okay. Those are my two. Okay. What would you think that the the one that won the most like one best drama the most number of times in the last 10 years. Do you want me to give you options? Yeah, give me a hint. Okay. Succession, Game of Thrones, Handmaid's Tale, Breaking Bad, mm. Homeland. Oh, man. I'm going to have to go with Game of Thrones. Correct. It won 2015, 16, 18, and 19. Boom. That thing was huge. <laughs> it was just sort of, a, a you know, everyone was obsessed with it. I never watched it, but I did watch the final episode just what? exclusively. Yeah. Yeah. My friends were having like a party because they're all big into it. And ah. so I like went to go see the final episode and they're like, do not come <laughs> to this party. Like, you know, just don't right, what come. What are you doing? I showed up and I watched it. And so I was like, all right, I'll probably never so, see the whole thing again. I was yeah. going to say, there's- I, mean, I ruined it for myself. Not there's no reason, but- but it probably made no sense to you anyway. Yeah. I mean, it was cool. I mean, like, uh, you know, I could sense there was a lot of history there, but <laughs> don't think I'll, I'll go watch that. I never saw Breaking Bad, so I need to get on that. Mm. So I don't know. It was just interesting to kind of look back and see 
What were the popular ones yeah. in the last few years? They say that like right now the shows are the best. You know, like shows. That they've been. Yeah, yeah, like movies. Like there's a golden age of Sopranos movies. Sopranos people are. There's the golden age of shows. Yeah, that's true. That's probably true. I guess. Ah, <sighs> who needs them? Yeah. Only like the best show ever. Okay, that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download. We have to give a shout out though to our listener who won the survey. If you guys participated in the survey, um, Caitlin Sheehan from Silver Spring took the survey and she is now the owner of an exclusive DMV Download t shirt. Yeah, those t shirts are sick. Rep us well, Caitlin. And uh, we are brought to you by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab and our music is by Real World. Leave us a review and rate our show if you get the chance and follow us on social media where we're posting content content from behind the scenes every day. You can find out more about this podcast on dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com, and on the WTOP News app. Have a good night, everyone.